being nice versus being mean. It, it was funny. I had a lesson the other day with somebody and she was, she's a vocalist and I'll play bass in the lessons, but she was saying a situation where she's around a bunch of guys and she's like, well, I know like you may not experience so much because you play an instrument. So, you know, people might respect you for that. But it was funny because someone was kind of dissing her, like they were playing her original song and the person was like, kind of joking, but was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of playing your music. And she didn't have a good comeback. She just kind of like brushed it off like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm tired of it too. And we were talking about it. I'm like, well, are you tired of it? Or like, how did that make you feel? She's like, well, it made me feel like really bad. And I'm like, so we went through a bunch of different scenarios. And the next student I had, I had them do some role playing. I was like, because there is a time where you need to stand up for yourself and dish it. You know, someone's going to deliver yes. or dish and deliver. So I was like, let's come up with some comebacks. You know, you have to stand up for yourself no matter what somebody's going to think of you. That's 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 on them, you know. Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions shape our identity and our lives. I'm your host, Pam Schaefer, and our producer is Laura Studeris. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can head over to our Patreon to support us directly and get transcripts of all of our episodes, or you can come hang out with us on your favorite social media platforms, where we can be found under WNB the podcast. For this special bonus episode, we got to hang out with Katie Thoreau. I hope that you enjoy our chat. Hello, welcome to Why Not Both. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. How how have you been? I used to open the podcast by asking people like what they do and what's a better question. And I'm like, hey, how's life? <laughs> yeah, everything's really great. I mean, I know we're still in a pandemic, but um, I'm really thankful that I did a lot of teaching during the pandemic and I had a lot, found a lot of joy that way, helping people and now safely starting to come back out and, you know, do more performances and some more traveling. I'm going to Europe next week. Um, I'm not, I'm not so nervous about the travel, but just making sure that I have all the right documentation. So yeah, yeah it feels good. Wow. What was that like? What were you teaching during the pandemic and what was it like kind of teaching under those circumstances versus otherwise? Yes, yeah, so it was the most teaching I've ever done in my life. And I really, I knew I liked to teach before that. And then this mm -hmm. kind of like solidified that. So I started teaching, um, I, mean, I play upright jazz bass and I sing jazz as well. So the school that I taught, that I teach at, one of the schools, we had to go on Zoom, of course. So I was kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to work, but it turned out to be great. So then I offered... Um, I offered that publicly because a lot of people, when I travel, ask, oh, can I take a lesson online? And this was before the pandemic. And I kind of, I was like, eh, this doesn't seem so uh, efficient, you know, teaching online. Yeah. But then I started doing it. And um, I think because there's that time, we're bending time and space by, we're all in the same time, but in different spaces. Yeah. And it made it really, really easy for me to to reach a lot more people. And it was really cool to 
At one point, I had students in Egypt, Ireland, Australia, Germany, like, you know, all over the world. So it was pretty cool that when we could get together that way. And then I would host like a monthly recital on Instagram, like a live recital. And then we'd all get to kind of meet each other and build this little community. So I thought it was going to be a challenge, but it turned out almost to be more effective than in person because there's more accountability. I also, I also make really great lesson, like detailed lesson uh, summaries afterwards. So, uh, and it just feels like we were able to connect more that way. So I, I enjoyed it. And I think the students did too. That's fascinating. And also I love that you had like international recitals. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. What was it like watching your students interact with each other? Like what did, like, what was that like? That's fascinating to me. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, one thing, I mean, when you're on Instagram, it's like mirrored flip. So especially when you're playing bass, it's, it's kind of weird to see someone playing backwards unless they're left-handed and then it, it goes the correct way. Right. Um, no, it was cool. It was great to have this like camaraderie and community of people cheering each other on and then just they wouldn't have met otherwise. So it's, it's been really cool. And they've, I kind of, I also like to have buddy systems with students. So like two that I know are kind of like headed in the same direction. And so, you know, someone from the Netherlands hooking up with someone from Philadelphia and like, Oh, I'm working on this. How does this sound? Or like, how would you play this? Just kind of, you know, it's kind of all about connection. That is so cool. Cause yeah, having accountability, especially for practicing, like that's, uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and in the height of, you know, staying at home in the pandemic, I was, I mean, I'm always you know, available. You can email me anytime, but I would check in with each student once a week. How's it going? How's this going? Oh. So, so it didn't feel like they were like, you know, either not practicing, which is fine. You know, it helps if you practice, but also like, yeah, that accountability. Yeah. And that's, I was thinking about how interesting it is to teach something to someone musically when you're not in the same acoustic space or when you're not kind of like sharing space with someone, I guess, like, what did that feel like when you were teaching someone? Like, were you teaching solely bass or were you also teaching voice or? Yeah, I was teaching both, teaching both Mm -hmm. bass and voice. And, and, you know, if someone wanted to do theory, that was fine too. But um, sound wise, it wasn't so much of an issue, especially for bass, because there's so many things that I can yeah, I could see someone on on mute or if I was watching a concert or something, you could be like, you could, you could hear maybe where some issues would be. You could yeah. visualize. Yeah. So that wasn't such a, a problem. Um, and also going back to that accountability, like I would have students, you know, in the middle, maybe they took once a week or once every other week in the middle. Okay. Send me a video of your progress of, you know, what we talked about. So just kind of like, when they come back for each lesson, it's not like a bunch of questions. It's kind of like we've been growing together at this pace. And then same for the voice, you know, although there is, there are some instances where I'd work with someone online and then I'd get to meet them in person. And, um, I, I'd be, wow, I didn't know you were a soft singer. Cause I, I'm a soft singer as well. And because, you know, you're on a microphone or just even going through the computer, you can turn up the volume and everything. Uh, so some of those things were a little bit of an issue, but for technique, for sure, is like, was so easy to teach online. Wow. That's so cool because yeah, like I know that at least like my experience of when I've been in voice lessons, sometimes I'm almost more shy until I really get to know a teacher, like to sing in person, whereas there's almost a remove online. Yeah. That even though, you know, the other person is there cognitively, it's like, since you're not sharing space, there's almost this little bit of like, 
like little bit of distance. I don't know how else to put it. No, I think it, it is for some people. There's that comfortability aspect of, okay, we're not in the same, we're not even in the same time zone. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I can, I'm just, if I need to start over, I can start over. Yeah. 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 That's, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, do you think you're going to keep going with like doing all of the online teaching? Are you shifting more to like in-person again? Are you doing kind of hybrid? Like, what are you feeling? Well, yeah, I mean, I, for my personal studio, I like the online. I like online a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I teach, I live in Los Angeles and I have students in LA, but we, we still do it online. It makes it, it's less stressful. Like, you know, if someone's coming to me, they don't have to drive two hours in traffic each way and then they can like right after they're done with the lesson, they can just start either start practicing or kind of like make their own notes as they go. I think it's effective for that. Um, you know, every once in a while coming in person is cool. I, I teach at um, USC University of Southern California oh. too. So we're all in person, um, which for that, I think when you're studying at a school and you have a curriculum and you have like those specific goals, I think it's, I think that's helpful to be in person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and to have that environment of like, you know, being in school. Yeah. I have felt for like everyone who's been a student during this time, because some of, I guess like some of the experience of school is like that convivial atmosphere of like seeing your fellow students in person. Like it's cool to have, like, I love the online recitals. Um, but I was thinking about, especially like if you are working on say a music degree, like Mm -hmm. sharing space with the other people who are doing the same thing is really important. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm glad. And that's, that makes me happy that you're teaching at USC. It's funny. I'm, I'm one of the only family members that didn't go to USC. I'm in LA as well. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, I've spent a lot of time on the campus. Um, But yeah, like I found a similar thing, even with what I do, like when I'm not like musicing or podcasting, like I do therapy And originally I had my therapy office near where I live in West Hollywood, um, but it was always such like an event for people to come to the office. Mm -hmm. Um, And now like even my clients that are in LA, I I did have one client ask to go for like a walk and talk. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think it's safe to do that. But other than that, everyone's like, I love that I don't have to drive. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was just talking to a bunch of, I was at a wedding and the the bride was a therapist and so all her therapist colleagues were there and they were like it takes off so much pressure from some of their clients who like there there'd be a stigma of like okay I have to find a parking spot then I'm gonna wait in the office and everyone's gonna see me and you know then then I was like well by the end of that then you're going to therapy for, to the, go to therapy. for that yeah. <laughs> yeah yes that's I specialize in ADHD and like I have ADHD myself and so I I feel that in my soul where it's like sometimes to go just to like a location there's so many steps involved that by the time you get there you're just like, <laughs> like yeah I'm, I'm exhausted mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it eliminates like I was thinking about that for learning as well like it eliminates kind of like barriers to entry that people might have to like actually get to the place yeah um, or do the thing that it's like oh, can you like turn on your computer? And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I think I got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, what are you going to be up to in Europe? I was just like, where are you playing shows? What's going on there? Like, yeah. So I, I, um, before the pandemic, I would go to Europe. Luckily a lot. I like it there. So I'd probably go like four times a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, this time it'd usually be for like two weeks or a month. 
and traveling. But with COVID, I was like, let's just keep it as tight as possible. So I'm going to Sweden to do, um, it's like a youth jazz festival. So I'm going to be doing a couple workshops and then a performance oh, yeah. in Stockholm. And then I'll be going to England, uh, kind of Northern England to Leeds to film a bass course. I have a course on a, a really cool website that I like. And again, it's funny that I like teaching online because I wouldn't be the type of person to to seek that out myself, to go mm. buy an online course or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, I did one in 2019. For, it's called Discover Double Bass. And it's an all-comprehensive course, so you buy it and you, you, you like follow it in order. And it's great. I met a lot of people that way, too, who reached out. Um, so I'm going to do a, a follow-up for that one, uh, a couple of days of filming in Leeds. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then that's it. Then I'm going to come back home. Yeah. What is it like, I guess, balancing those aspects of your life, like enjoying, like, you know, especially we haven't been able to travel more, but I guess like teaching and performing and also it sounds like creating a lot of different curriculums as well. Yeah, it, it got to, uh, it got to a head, like a front at the beginning of this year, for sure, because having taught for like two years straight, pretty much, and not doing too much performing, that wasn't an issue, like because I'm, I'm such a homebody, so I didn't mind being at home. Mm -hmm. But in January, when, when the semester started again, especially at USC, and I had a, a like triple the load of students, which is good. I, I you know, people, they want to study, which is fine. Uh, but I was a little uh, discouraged by the students, by the student body's excitement mm -hmm. in, in what they're doing. Because I, I, I like teaching my private studio because... I, we have a goal. They have a goal, whatever that is, they want to perform with this person or go, go to a jam session and plan a jam session. Whether, so when, when I'm teaching in a more uh, structured, like in a school, our goal is, or their, their goal is the jury, you know, our final yeah. test or whatever. Uh, so I kind of, I was feeling just uninspired, I guess. Uh, Cause I was kind of like, you guys need to be getting out there and, and performing. So it was stressing me out, actually, yeah. in a way where it was it kind of thrown, caught me off guard. And then I kind of like, I flipped it and I'm like, well, I'm helping them the best I can. It's not my, my, it's not my life, you know, yeah. and I, you know, tell them to go out and perform and do. So after I figured that out, it was fine. But I do do a lot of teaching and it can get a little swirly up here yeah. because <laughs> I'm also, um, like, so for this base course, I'm filming it in uh, like April 5th through 7th. I haven't written it yet. Because, <laughs> um, and that's how I did the first one, too. I have a good general outline. Mm -hmm. But um, I'll probably kind of do it on the fly again. And that seemed... I, I, get, I get organized. It will be organized. So that's not a big issue. But then I also... I have a jazz camp in Maui. Mm-hmm. So and we're going there in April and we're doing the jazz camp in June. So like, you know, building the curriculum for that. I also work for the Monterey Jazz Festival for the for this women in jazz program. So like having that on the plate too. So yeah, it all became very a lot. And then I kind of just, again, I shifted my perspective and I'm like, oh, these are all things that I, what I want to do, that I love doing. Um, a lot, some of them I created myself or someone asked me to do them. So, and I could say no if I want to, but I really like doing all of these things. And then the performing is the easiest part. That's like the most fun, the less, no stress there. Like, that's very cool. That's, I like what you said that you're like, I could say no if I want, because I, 
I relate so much of just like, I like to do so many different things that sometimes I find myself being overwhelmed, but then I realize I'm overwhelmed by my own choices. And it's like, yeah. if I wanted to, I could actually like take one of those off my plate, but I'm like, okay, that's under my own agency. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, no, no period is a complete sentence and you don't need to say anything else after that. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. So, that yes to no. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's certain, someone asked me to do a gig and it could be I just don't want to do it, you know? I want to be home that night. Or if I want to do it and it doesn't the pay isn't good, I'll ask for more pay. And if, if I'm willing to walk away, then it's that's fine, you know? So just kind of being confident in all those choices. Yeah. And also, like, a lot of stuff, especially since I have a lot of students now, if I don't want to do something or, or I, I'm like, well, I could do that, I always, I'll recommend a student, you know, because it's like passing on that opportunity that I got so many growing up myself. Oh. That's really wonderful. Yeah. And I'm sure that your students appreciate that. Yes, they do. Because <laughs> yeah. music is one of the uh, least linear courses that anyone could take. It's interesting when people ask for advice in music or people have asked even, you know, about the podcast. They're like, oh, well, you do interview a lot of musicians. Is it like about how to be a musician? And I'm like, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, no, because there's no, it's no like follow these steps and then musician. Yeah. I know. <laughs> like, yeah. It's total freelance in that way. And my my husband's a drummer and at the beginning of the pandemic he um he always was interested in real estate but was never never you never have the time on the road to like idly study something and take a test, yeah. you know, all that. So he he worked his butt off and got his license and then got hooked up. He again he studied what he wanted to do, so he got into luxury real estate. But it's it's the same it's the same thing as being a musician. It's, it's, and doing any sort of thing that's freelance. Okay. And he's a good people person, but it's like, okay, who do you know? You need someone literally like that to help you and offer, you need to offer something in return. So, you know, it's just exchange and connections. Yeah. It's almost like, it's like not a formal apprenticeship in a way, but kind of, yeah. And we both had that. I mean, I had that for sure on bass. He had it on drums um, I think that's so important for whatever you do. Oh yeah. I guess who are, who are the people that you feel were kind of like your foundational people that helped you to kind of see like what your priorities are and like kind of connect you to the things you're doing now? A, a, a huge one is, uh, he's a bass player, jazz bass player. He does everything. And that's, I love his name's John Clayton and he's in LA mm-hmm. plays, plays upright composes arranges for everybody like he's done queen latifah gladys knight um and he he lived in europe i think he's almost 70 now but he lived in europe and then was the classical principal bassist i think for the amsterdam philharmonic or berlin so it's like he he can do it all and then he teaches as well and he's he was one of my teachers and he's a great teacher so i learned a lot from him i talk about him all the time uh because the musicianship is a given, like he's amazing. And he studied with my favorite bass player, Ray Brown. So I kind of feel like uh, I've studied with Ray Brown through (laughs) John Clayton. Yeah. So that's, that's a huge honor. But then the way that he takes everything with such grace, like when you watch him interact Mm -hmm. with people, it could be, you know, the person just opening the door, you know, to the venue or, the sound person and the way he talks with everybody, it's just, it's so gracious. Um, and I've learned a lot 
just by watching him interact with people. And it's not, you're not putting on a front, it's not being cheesy, but I, I kind of realized a long time ago, well, if you're nice to people, things become a lot easier. And you're not nice just to get something in return, but it feels good. Yes. It's so much, at least for me, it's so much easier to be kind to people. Like it stresses me out trying to think of ways to not. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, we all make missteps by accident occasionally, but I'm mm -hmm. like, gosh, it just seems like a lot of energy to go through life not being kind to people. Like you'd yeah. have to think of ways to just be a pain in the tush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, well, I'll say one, one other person that was really helpful and he's still in town, bass player, Richard Simon. And when I was in high mm -hmm. school, I grew up in LA too. Mm -hmm. um, he would just throw me in the deep end and Okay, there was no Google Maps and no cell. I think yes. I did have maybe I had a cell phone, uh, but definitely no like internet on your phone. And you so have he the would, Thomas Guide. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. God. I'd have to pull over and okay, there's and I'm really bad at maps, so it'd be like okay, quadrant B four or whatever. <laughs> yes, and you're just like what? what? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he would. I think when I was like, I would drive my. So maybe when I was in the tenth or eleventh grade. He would just call me the day of, or maybe a few hours ahead, and he'd be like, "I can't make it to this gig. Can you come?" And fill in. And um, so I learned so much just playing, just being thrown into these situations, playing music I didn't know and just having to learn it on the spot with people yeah. I didn't know. And uh, I guess I was, I was kind of a shy person. So it kind of just, and I might have still been shy in that situation, but I was also really focused on, okay, what's this next change? Yeah, what's going what am on? I doing? <clears throat> but just learning so much music that way and playing with people uh, was something that I, I'm really trying now especially since we can play more, but really trying to give to my students too. It's like, let's, this is the best way, this best way to learn for, for me that I got to learn. Yeah. I'm so glad that you encourage your students to do that. That was, that was what I felt like I, at least as a music student learned later, like I had originally learned piano as was evident by the piano. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so much of what I learned initially was, was classically based. And also, you know, I, I would get in trouble for quote, making things up. What I was doing is I was improvising because most of what I was doing was playing by ear. I would kind of spot check on the music if I needed to, but as long as I heard something, I was like, I got the general idea. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't like general idea, like Chopin yeah yeah and so it's like I, I would get in trouble for doing that um but also I wasn't encouraged to necessarily play with other musicians because there was always like the one pianist mm -hmm. especially yeah. in high school there was like the pianist for the thing and so the pianist did not play with other people and so mm -hmm. it wasn't until later that I started experiencing playing with more people and that brought me out of my shell a lot musically and helped me understand a lot more musically that wasn't just theoretical or wasn't just hey perfect this one phrase over and over again and like I love that you encourage that for your students because that for me at least was so important um and it, oh yeah it unlocked like a missing <clears throat> like the, the it was like the missing piece that I was like oh music is to be made with people mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> yeah and for other people to enjoy too yes yeah. like, this changes everything <laughs> yeah I think that that's a great point too especially like the enjoyment part whether what you know whatever type of music it is but especially for jazz there's so much you know people are playing original music which is great and that's you learn a lot doing that but I got great secondhand advice through this bass player I really love Ray Brown. And it's like, play music that people want to hear. Maybe your whole set doesn't have to be like that, but 
at least, you know, do something that an audience can, okay, I know, I know, I know that song or I can, I can at least snap my finger to that. Cause when it's so esoteric, yeah. uh, it could still be emotional, but you kind of, you walk away like just dumbfounded in, in not a great way where you want to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially I found in, in studying theory and things like that, that it's like, something can be almost like virtually intellectually perfect, but it's not, it doesn't emotionally land. No, um. <laughs> not at all. So, so I'll always, uh, I mean, I like to play music that you can snap your fingers to or bop your head or, or if it's a ballad, you know, something that's, you know, intense, but sometimes I'll play, you know, arrange some Beatles tunes. Yeah. If someone doesn't like the Beatles, that's on them. But uh, <laughs> but at least, you know, it's something that they may not know jazz repertoire, but they, right. they may have heard, you know, when I'm 64 at some point in their life and then right. kind of click somewhere in their brain. Well, and there's that aspect of also, I don't know if you feel this way, but there are some songs that I like to play just for myself. Like I'll even sometimes write music that I don't share with other people, not because I think it's bad, but just I'm like, oh, that's just like a me song. Mm-hmm. And like that enjoyment aspect and knowing that it's like, you're allowed to do that. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm allowed to make sounds just because I like them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're imparting all of this to your students. I was thinking about how lucky all of these people around the world are that they, that they got to study with you during this time. And also what a cool time to get to learn something new about yourself. Like all of us have been redefining our identities in lieu of, you know, it's like all the structures just went. And so it's like, okay, well, who am I? What, what is it I enjoy doing? Um, yeah. And I, I kind of realized that I'm, I'm pretty straightforward mm-hmm. person. So and I like teaching for that reason. I'm not, I'll never be mean, but I'm, my goal is to, you know, just help somebody. Yeah. Um, but like when we were talking about being nice versus being mean, it, it was funny. I had a lesson the other day with somebody and she was, she's a vocalist and I'll play bass in the lessons, but she was saying a situation where she's around a bunch of guys and she's like, well, I know like you may not experience so much because you play an instrument. So, you know, people might respect you for that. But it was funny because someone was, kind of dissing her like they were playing her original song and the person was like kind of joking but was like yeah I'm 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 tired of of playing your music and she didn't have a good comeback she just kind of like brushed it off like oh yeah I'm I'm tired of it too and we were talking about it I'm like are you tired of it or like how did that make you feel she's like well it made me feel like really bad and I'm like so we went through a bunch of different scenarios and the next student I had I had them do some role playing. I was like, because there is a time where you need to stand up for yourself and dish it. You know, someone's going to deliver yes. or dish and deliver. So I was like, let's come up with some comebacks. You know, you have to stand up for yourself. No matter what somebody's going to think of you, that's, that's, that's on them, you know? Yeah. Well, it's holding, it's kind of holding yourself and others to integrity, especially in collaboration. Yeah. And it's all projection too. When, you oh, know, when yeah. someone has any sort of comment like that. Yeah, I was just like, who says that in a collaborative environment? Like, I'm tired of playing your ideas. I would be like, cool, you can like leave then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, are you tired of this? You're allowed to go. <laughs> exactly. I know. Yeah, so I said, I said, oh, you're you're tired. Why don't you go out, take a nap? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, mm-hmm. 
on behalf of your student, I'm feeling like very like mama bear. <laughs> yeah, no, because I, I said if you know if that happens again, you you can call me in the moment and I'll give I'll feed you the one liners. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I I have I have found that as like occasionally being either the vocalist or you know the only woman in the studio kind of thing where people think like and there's the whole thing of just the vocalist. I'm like, yeah, oh, you mean the important part of the song that everyone pays attention to? Yeah, exactly. Why are you why are you dismissing that person? <laughs> That's yeah. A very important person. <laughs> exactly. And I and I told her, I was like, you're gonna get hired for way more gigs before this instrumentalist are because you're a singer and you can put a band together and you you know, yeah, yeah everyone wants to hear that. So, oh. so. Oh. but anyways, they'll learn in the end because they won't get hired. Exactly. Yeah, the people that I and I mean and it sounds like you're the same way. I tend to recommend people that I've had good interpersonal experiences with because that's a huge part of making music together. It's like you might make something wonderful, but if it was such an arduous process or so difficult to get along with someone, you're going to be like, well, this song was great, but like, I don't need to recommend them to anybody. Else. No, it's not worth it because then, <laughs> then that puts your reputation on the line. Yeah. 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 Like, I swear that half of why I recommend people, well, I mean, obviously they have to be good at what they do, but it's like, there's always people who are good at what they do, but if they're good at what they do and they're kind people who are respectful to work with, I'm just like, oh yeah, we are, we are good to go. I will recommend everybody. Yeah. 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 And that's, I'm, I'm curious. It's interesting thinking about your students in the position of like, you know, going for the juries and finishing their degrees and all this stuff that it's. It's only when you're outside of that environment that you realize like, oh yeah, that doesn't mean anything. But when you're in the midst of it, it seems like it means so much. Yeah, exactly. And that's why my whole thing is like, I just move on so quickly. It's just whatever, right? Yeah. Like who cares? Yeah. How, I guess like, how do you balance that with, I remember when your publicist emailed me I said that you also do a podcast and I was just like how do you balance I guess kind of all of that and I know that from my experience of doing this pod I feel like I learn something every time I talk to someone like after each conversation I'm like whoa <laughs> I guess like do you feel the same and has it informed kind of the other things that you're doing yeah I I started the podcast in September of 2020 mm-hmm. it's called the hump with Katie Mm-hmm. those little posters but the hump because that's what we refer to as the beat on the bass for the most part and there's a little hump mm-hmm. on the bass mm-hmm. and uh i my original idea before the pandemic when i was traveling a lot was to <clears throat> if i was in paris interview like a musician i met there so kind of make it global but then of course i couldn't do that so i started it online okay so and i learned a lot just about like doing a podcast i think i i did 60 episodes i've been on a little hiatus since february so because I was doing them weekly but yeah no I learned a lot especially from people who do I I interviewed a lot of bass players and a lot of industry music industry people but again that balancing act like you know someone who's like the head of a department at Berkeley Mm -hmm. but then also has a touring career and it's like how do they man, how do you manage? Okay. You're head of department. You're teaching all these students. You have a touring career and you're recording and you're playing with your group and other people. Oh my God. Um, and I think it just comes down to, um, you know, making sure you can do all those things well. And again, saying no when you need to, and also taking a rest, making sure you get mental rest. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of like, 
I know I have a bunch of stuff from now until May, mm-hmm. until the beginning of May. So I know, okay, mentally I'll be able to kind of chill out in May. But until then, it's just like finding little times to rest either throughout the week or the day. And that could just be like, I could sit and do nothing like perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But also just making sure that like I'm, I'm happiest when I'm playing and singing the instrument, even just at home. So like yeah. if I'm doing that. Also, I've for about five years, I've been doing transcendental meditation. So that helps a lot too. just kind of like in the morning and the evening, just having this, I don't really do anything, you know, just for yeah. 20 minutes each time, but doing certain things where you can just rest. Yes. It was funny. That was my birthday present to myself was learning transcendental meditation. And it has been, it's the only form of meditation I've been able to stick with. That's um, what everybody says. Yeah. Like it's fascinating because uh, my, I, I have the brain zoomies. Um, and so <laughs> like, I, I loved learning about other forms of meditation where they're like, yeah. So in the moment when you have no thoughts and I'm like, really, yeah. I don't relate. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> like, I felt not necessarily discouraged, but more like I couldn't feel the benefits of other forms. And so therefore I didn't do them. It's like, I'm more prone mm-hmm. to do something if I can feel yeah. positive effects and even like the first time I I learned transcendental meditation it was like I immediately felt the effects of it and was like Mm -hmm. oh oh yeah okay um and I found that like I have I have spoken to what I would describe as a statistically improbable number of people now who do transcendental meditation on this podcast which is Mm -hmm. fascinating because it's about people who do multiple things and juggle multiple passions and it's like, yet have this center about them. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I mean, I did take psych stats in grad school, so I could technically analyze it, but it's yeah. very, I was like, is it a statistically significant sample? It's over a hundred people, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, it wasn't a simple random sample. You were all selected to be on the pod. So I'm like, but I'm like, that's yeah. A lot of people have spoken of that particular form of meditation. Um, and it does seem for whatever reason, yet again statistician mind I'm like correlation causation not the same thing mm-hmm. but it does seem to be correlated with somehow this either propensity or, or tendency to hold multiple realms of your life and be comfortable with it yeah I think because especially everybody's creative whether you're punching numbers at a computer like everyone has something creative to offer so it kind of I and I'm not, I didn't seek out to do it. It was my husband wanted to do it. He's, he's had struggled with anxiety, you know, his whole life. Mm. And, um, his sister, she ended up passing away at the beginning of the pandemic from cancer. But when she Mm. first was diagnosed, he was just like overloaded and, you know, he he goes to therapy and all that. So, you know, he just, I was like, yeah, I'll do it with you. I'll try it out. And so I'm, I'm pretty low key to begin with, but since, you know, in this last couple of months, it's kind of, kind of feel not the pressure, but just a lot of things are happening. So it's been really helpful for that. And I, I mean, I do it every day. Mm-hmm. And also when I'm traveling yeah. on an airplane, going different timelines, because, you know, you get that deep rest. Even if I didn't get a good night's sleep, at least I know that I'm getting scientifically proven deeper rest. And mm-hmm. I know David Lynch, the film director, is a huge supporter of it. And I never have, 
you know, the intention of when I'm meditating, I'm going to think about this, you know, that's not the point, but you know, something will flash into my mind, even if it's like, I love to cook. And so even if I'm doing it before dinner, I'm like, oh, I have these two things in the fridge and oh, boom. (laughs) And so the same thing happens either if I'm, I have a concert and I'm, what's the set list going to be? Or this new course I'm working on, oh, this flashed into my mind and I don't hold on to it, but I know afterwards I can kind of brainstorm off of that. So it just kind of just taps into a different part, you know, a more creative, deeper part in the brain. And it's so beneficial because then you're also getting rest at the same time. Yes. Like I love, I love the evening one, especially on client days, because I really use it to kind of, it's almost like a, it's like the ginger in the sushi where it's like, I'll, I'll be doing like client stuff or admin stuff or writing. And then like when I do my evening one, then I can afterwards shift into like, now I'll read and I'll play music mm-hmm. and I'll like, it almost like helps me transition into that state by giving me that rest. And like you said, I don't go in with an intention to be meditating on an idea either. Um, but I do find that like occasionally like a big idea will bubble up or it's almost like a lucid dream state will mm-hmm. kind of take over for a moment and I'll just be like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's long for the ride. Um, and like, I do come out feeling like, you know, refreshed and centered. And like you said, it's like, I, I do then muse on those ideas afterwards mm-hmm. because at first when they started coming up, I would like, I write everything down. Um, because I would forget where uh, my own hands were, were they not attached to my body? Mm-hmm. And I was afraid that I would forget, like I usually do, but I don't. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to me that I'm just like, oh, I wonder what it is about ideas that come up in this way that they're they're sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. like because they're so deep in there, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that and that's a wonderful thing, like you said, when you're traveling or when you know there's kind of disruptions to your usual routine to know that you always have this place where you can just like you can go. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'll do it on airplane or in airport, like in between lessons, you know, even before, like I do the long one, if I just do five minutes or something. Yeah. Uh, My cat also loves it too. I'm glad that your cat loves it. Um, I have, I didn't used to, (laughs) I was sometimes cat. My neighbor's cat adopted me at some point. It was, I think 2018. I, I opened the door to get a package and a cat ran in, ran over to my kitchen table and started meow yelling at me. And I was like, (laughs) oh hi (laughs) who might you be yeah (laughs) so she's here maybe like 25 percent of the time but anytime I've tried to meditate when she's here she literally will come up and sit as close as she can and meow at me like where did you go yeah and it's because it's I think it's because they they can't reach that energy themselves or that vibe so they're picking up on it so yeah. my, and I don't have a cuddly cat. Like she'll, she's never sat in my lap or anything, but she'll just, where if I'm in my bed, she'll sit on the dresser and just yep. pot roast and just do that for the, the 20 minutes. And then she knows when the 20 minutes is up and she comes over. Maybe her name is Begonia, my sometimes cat. I was like, maybe I can train B for that. Cause she, she's the same where she's not all up in your biz cat. She just wants to be in the same room with you. Yeah. yeah. Maybe scream for snacks on occasion. Um, that's her style. And I'm like, I respect it. Mm -hmm. um but like when I'm meditating she definitely is like 
she's like alarmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm like, all right, all right, maybe we just need to get you used to this. So that way, cause normally that's what she'll do. She'll chill somewhere. Mm-hmm. Either she likes it, especially when I'm making music. Like if she hears any of my instruments, she'll come to the door and she's learned that if you paw at the corner, it makes the door rattle as, as though like, it sounds like, like a hell spawn has escaped. Mm-hmm. She's a tiny fluff ball. First time it happened. I was like, is this how I die? No, oh, yeah. no, it was the cat. She had just, <laughs> she had just, Yep. I was like, oh my God. But yeah, like she likes to chill. That's so interesting though, that they probably do pick up on that energy that I'd never seen her do that before. Even when I was like, she's taking naps with me here, like stuff like that. But it was when I was meditating that she was just like, Mm -hmm. no, whatever this is, I don't understand it. I'm going to get all up in. I'm just like, what are you doing? You never do this. (laughs) Like my familiar, she's gone all weird. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What's that like? Like uh, I talked to so many people who their partners are also musicians. And I was just like, does your husband also do like of like things in all the different spheres of music or now like how is he balancing and how are you balancing like him being in music and real estate? I was like, now now everybody's like a multi-hyphenate. Yeah. So at the beginning, I mean everyone was at home during the pandemic. And yeah. we, we live in Long Beach and uh hopefully we'll we'll buy something this year, but you know. We weren't used to being at home, especially yeah. not like together at the same time, which didn't pose too much of a problem. And he really wanted to focus on just being in real estate, which was easy because no one was playing anyways. No one was yeah. playing during the pandemic. So that you weren't like turning anything down. And um, he, so he did like a full year and then he's kind of starting to reintroduce. He did like a couple of things, but reintroduce playing because we always toured together. Yeah. So he's coming with me to Sweden. I, I did my first like comeback gig like uh, two weekends ago at SF Jazz in San Francisco, but he, I didn't have mm-hmm. him because I knew someone else was going to be in town. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to pressure him into playing if it would take him away from something. But for Sweden, I, uh, I didn't tell him this yet, but I made it, I needed him to come. I needed him to play with me and do these certain things. So I made it his idea. And so it just worked out perfectly. And like, he's really, that. it's like perfect timing for him. Cause he's been working his butt off. Yeah. So it's, it's good timing. But I think for him too, when you, like when he lost his sister, I mean, and I lost, you know, technically a sister too. There was, I know a lot of people have had this moment in their life pandemic or not. He was like, I need to do something different right now. I just need yeah. to try something different. So that was why he really went full force into the, into real estate. And now he's, he's finding that joy again in music. Cause I think it was really painful for him yeah. to play music without his sister there. Oh. But uh, now it's, it's, it's more like beautiful and, and more, more, uh, you know, happier memories attached. Yeah. Was she a musician as well? She was um, not professionally, but she played, she played, great piano and like could read any sort of piano music and she played cello too oh wow yeah that can be so hard I, I've talked to people that like and I don't know if you've experienced this but when I'm feeling like a deep sense of grief I have a hard time playing music because it almost taps into a deeper emotion than I can go to in that moment mm-hmm. and there were people that spoke during this time and I don't know if people talk to you about this on your pod but about like either not being able to write during different parts of this or not being able to play because it didn't feel enjoyable, like things like that, where it's like sometimes grief almost like 
puts, you know, it, at least for me, it was like, it, it felt like it, it puts like a little stopper on the bottle. Like there's the gene, yeah. all the things usually come out of, but it puts a, just a temporary, but it puts a stopper on it. And you're like, okay, like I can't access that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for me, it, it'll, it happens like that too. But for the most part, if I'm not feeling well, or if I'm pl- feeling even depressed about my own playing, I usually play my way through it. Yeah. And, and then by the end of it, I'm feeling, I'm feeling much better. And I've gone through it. I'm sure you have too, but everyone has like weeks, days or months where man, nothing is happening. I don't feel my mojo has gone and it, I'll oh. be when I'm playing my own gigs or with other people. And, uh, I, I have a great friend in, in New York. He's a great clarinetist and saxophonist, Ken Poblowski. And we, we talk about this stuff all the time. He's, he's older. Um, but it's like, you know, you don't need to apologize after the gig, but you, right. in those moments when nothing's happening, that's when you go back on like all the stuff you practice. And if you have to play, you know, not your bag of tricks, but just something that, you know, that's going to just get you through and yes. you're going to be able to support everybody that, you know, do that. And then each time it'll get better and better. And then you get out of that funk. Like I, I felt like I was in a funk in January because I was kind of like just depressed yeah. about these students. And then also it kind of changed my my mind shift and it's just like okay we're out of that now we're got, we're done yeah and even I don't know if you find this but sometimes if I if I either like try something new with it either a new instrument or a new musical skill or something else it's like if I do something to shake myself out of that like sometimes I'll be like okay I feel like I can't access piano feelings I'm going to learn some drum machine feelings mm. um, or like things like that, where it's like, I'll just try something else. Even if like, I may never use that in a recording or things like that. It's like, I can just explore another Avenue. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'll just, I'll just, yeah. I'll learn totally different music. Yeah. I'll put my iPod on shuffle and just play along to music. Um, and it's good. Like if I don't know what it is, that's even better. And just, just play. Uh, that's, and I learned this from my, my mentor, John Clayton. It's like, never put the instrument away feeling angry, never put it away feeling anything but happy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe as a kid, I had these practice sessions where it's just like, ah, you know, yeah. I, I can't play this scale at this tempo and I need to do it. Cause so-and-so said I have to do it, but I don't. Yeah. Um, so now like if I feel like I'm not, especially if I'm practicing and it's just eh, whatever, it's not working. I'll just, play a blues or like play even like a scale that I know is just going to like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to have a high success rate doing this. I'll feel good. Put the instrument down, take a break, maybe for the whole day and then, then come back. But never, never putting it away, like angry at yourself or the instrument or the music. That's a beautiful way to put it. It's like not going to sleep mad. Yeah. (laughs) You have like a a positive, like you're closing the circle of a positive relationship with your instrument. Mm-hmm. And it's strange having those. I, I almost feel like there's like comfort songs or comfort scales, like even the things that come to muscle memory. Like mm-hmm. it was strange. I hadn't played in front of people the entire pandemic. Um, and I was at a friend's party and there was um there was an electric piano there. And one of my friends was just like, Well, you play, and like then other people heard that I played, and so they were like, Oh, you should play something. And I don't know what, how to describe what I was feeling other than like out of body mortal terror. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause one, I was in a social situation, which I haven't been in social situations for, I mean, it wasn't a huge social situation. It was like 20 people, but like, I was still just like, Mark. 
And somehow my muscle memory tapped into the Tori Amos song, Winter, that I think I figured out by ear when I was like in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. But that's what my body chose. I was like, okay, we are going with it. And like even singing, I could barely sing. Like my throat was tight because I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, whisper singing it is. Yeah. And like people flocked to the room and like so many people were just like, oh my God, I haven't heard this song in so long. Like, well, people started singing a lot. I was like, who is this weird party that I'm at that like everybody knows this Tori Amos song? But it was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like somehow at least like my body knew what was going on. And yeah. I oh, bless. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's why I, I mean, I do love to practice so that I can be successful in any situation. I mean, of course you're going to have those moments where like maybe you miss a chord or something. Yeah. But um, like this gig I did at SF Jazz, I had a really great drummer from, from New York that was going to be in the area and then a guitarist from LA, Larry Koontz. And um, I had, you know, just been practicing. I didn't know what this set was going to be until I got up there, but I had some solo bass things and some bass and voice stuff and, and I practice, you know, I practice scales. I, if I practice scales and arpeggios, whenever I practice, I know at this point in my life, that's kind of like all I need to do. The rest is just music. But it, it was, it was very, um, it was fun talking to Larry, the guitarist afterwards, because he's very, he's very analytical about his playing, like most guitarists. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he was like, I can't believe this was your first outing, you know, in two years. Like, how did you play that, that solo bass thing? How did you do that? And I felt not like, I didn't feel like, oh yeah, but yeah. I was just like, wow, because this is what I tell my students too. It's like, okay, you practice, practice your scales. I always, it's like, if I, it was just nice. Cause like what I tell them was kind of proven. Yes. You're like, I was the test case. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah. And then just at that point, like, like I've learned, there's no more you can do once you're on stage. Right. There's not like. Even if I have a reminder, like, oh, I keep messing up this third chord, like, it's, it's not, it's not going to matter at that point. So right. when I'm up on stage, all it is, is like, am I having the most fun possible with the music and the musicians on stage? You know, that's all that matters at that point. Right. Yeah. I think just remaining in that experience and that, that can sometimes be extremely challenging. Um yeah. Weirdly, transcendental meditation, like coming back to that has, has helped to remind at least me of that, of just like, oh yeah, I can just be in this moment and that's okay. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. um, sometimes, see previous brain zoomies, uh, want to take me out of the moment because it's like, would you like to think 12 thoughts about this moment? And mm -hmm. I'm like, not particularly. And brain is like, that's cool because we're already on thought seven. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, no, slow down. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... I love that you could bring that back to your students. Like I, I do this similar thing for my therapy clients where a lot of times, like I won't like, obviously I can't try every single therapeutic intervention because I don't have the exact same everything as yeah. all clients, but it's like, I, I wouldn't feel that I was acting in integrity if I asked my clients to do something that like either I wouldn't be willing to do or that yeah. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wouldn't be like, here, try this intervention that like, uh, do I know if it works? I don't know. I read about it in a book yeah. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. where it's like, you can at least bring that like lived experience in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling, I guess, about 
Like, I'm like, everything's planned until May. And I love what you said that you're like, I'm content doing, doing nothing at times. I'm just like, it's so rare that someone expresses that. I was like, what are you looking forward to doing? in like after May, like, what does the nothingness look like? Like for you, what does nothing look like? Um, it's funny because I can do nothing, but my husband's the exact opposite. So hopefully he'll be like working and not around, Yeah, um, but it'll be more, it'll be just like, wow. If I just have a day to myself with nobody here, except for the cat and I've got my base and I can go work on stuff that I like if I can just play like even to me that's like a nothing day like just me yeah. in the base I could read I could I I, I like B, like BBC shows so I could watch mm -hmm. BBC all day long go for walks um because then there's all the other stuff that we're planning on doing like we want to buy buy a house and right now I, I just there's not too much more space to kind yeah. of think kind of work on that right now so yeah May will be a nice month again to do nothing i i um i gotta visit my grandma my grandma lives she lives in the in the valley but in a memory care unit mm -hmm. so I, I see her as much as i can so now that i'll be home i can go like a couple times a week and hang out with her yeah um yeah pretty much that I'm maybe like that. you know maybe teach online like have my, my private studio i kind mm -hmm. of put a little hold on that since i was a little busy but yeah. Yeah. That sounds really wonderful. Like, especially thinking about it almost in seasons where it's like, you can have seasons of like all these different activities and then you can have a season of just like, oh yeah, I'm taking life in to, you know, then what am I going to do in the season after that? But it's it's good to just be like, yep, just live in life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's cool when it gets to the point, if that's like annual, because this bass player, I love Ray Brown, every January he would take off because it wasn't like a high volume touring time or whatever. Yeah. And he would take off, go to Hawaii yeah. and just play golf. And then arrangements and new music would come to him. And then he'd be refreshed, you know, to go on tour for nine months. So yes, yeah, that, that helps too. There's some like, there's some things I want to do rec recording wise and work with some certain people. So maybe that could happen or start to boil at that point. I'm not a, um, I do, I, I do plan, but I just kind of let things fall into place. So yeah. I'm in favor of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also on those times off, it's kind of like I have to dedicate time, like the, this Monterey Jazz Festival, Women in Jazz. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are we going to, what's that going to look like this year? What are we planning to do? Mm -hmm. um, this Maui Jazz Camp is going to be at the end of June. So kind of doing some of the admin stuff for that. Okay. Right. How's this going to work? And then um, hopefully July will be another not so busy time. I was going to say kind of have the like, you know, like month and like two months and then like month and then like two or three months. And then like, yeah, it kind of, I like that you described it as a flow. I was like, I could see that. Yeah. Which is <laughs> nice. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm used to kind of just going, going, going. Yeah. So you, I just take it as it comes. I feel like a lot of, at least the last few years that I've been talking to people, a lot of it has been that like, oh yeah, I can, I can rely on my own internal sense of pacing instead of like an outside sense of pacing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, and that's where if you say no, right. And if someone, even if it's an opportunity you want to do it, I've learned this from really great people. It's like, it'll come along again, you know, yes. or if they really want want to have you they'll move they can move their schedule but yes you know your your own mental health and physical health is 
is great because maybe you say yes to something and then you're just beat by the time you get there. Or you're not going to yeah. play your best. Yeah. I was just like, I've definitely experienced that where sometimes you actually get to the thing, but you're too tired to enjoy the thing because you did too much of the other things. Yeah. 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 I was like, I respect this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much for taking your time to to chat with me today. Yeah, of course. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Oh, <laughs>